my gosh, I can't believe this is the fifth episode. What's up, everyone? Thank you so much for joining me on this Thursday. Got some cool topics lined up for you. We're going to start with all of the Swifties, the Travis Kelsey romance that's boosting TV ratings. And, you know, I kind of compared it to Deion Sanders. Some of y'all might not like that, but I'll show you what I'm talking about. If you follow me on Twitter, you probably saw it. So we'll kick things off with that. And then we're going to dive into some more serious subjects. So let's get straight to it. I wanted to start some drama on Twitter this past weekend. So I tweeted out, hold my beer. Taylor Swift is doing for the NFL what Deion Sanders did for college football. Hear me out. Hear me out. Okay. I'm talking expanding audience bases and increasing viewership in big ways. No one was checking for Colorado last season, but thanks to Coach Prime, their game against Oregon was the most watched college football game so far this season. It peaked at 12.6 million viewers, according to ESPN. Colorado's loss to USC last weekend was the most watched game of week five. Coach Prime has created must-watch TV even when the team loses and has fallen well out of AP's top 25. According to Sports Media Watch, Colorado has now played in four of the top seven most viewed games this season. The demographics watching have become more diverse, creating diehard bandwagon fans out of thin air. But, you know, that's money. They're watching, especially when you consider that really nobody was checking for this terrible team last year. I mean, what was Colorado? Never heard of them, you know? So from crickets to prime time, and uh, it's only right now that the NFL wanted a little bit of that media magic. So uh, they went to their script writers, and who better to deliver than the great romance of Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift? But seriously, they look super happy, <laughs> and major television networks are too. They see the spikes in viewership. I mean, the first game Taylor attended where the Chiefs blew out Chicago. She brought in 24.32 million viewers single-handedly. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not, it's not just Taylor. But that game scored the highest among female demographics across the ages of 12 to 17, 18 to 49, all this according to Variety. Then this past Sunday, she brought her gal pal Blake Lively, hubby Ryan Reynolds, where viewership averaged around 27 million viewers. That's up 22% from this time last year, making it the most watched Sunday game since Super Bowl 57, where my Kansas City Chiefs beat those Eagles. And that's a big deal. And I'm sure NFL script writers are gonna keep doing all of this, keep creating all of these great stories. And it's definitely boosting Travis Kelsey's paycheck. His jersey sales are up 400%. Way to go, Kelsey. <laughs> but I guess my question is, do you like this? Do you even care? Does it bother you to see a million Swifty TikTokers jumping on the Chiefs bandwagon? Let me know. As a member of the Chiefs kingdom, I say there's plenty of room for the bandwagon. All right, guys, I don't know what you're watching on TV these days, okay? Uh, Netflix, streaming, Hulu, wherever it's at. When there's nothing good to watch, I find myself going back to the best shows ever. And for me, that's Game of Thrones, Sopranos, and The Wire in no particular order. And I've rewatched The Wire, I mean, like three times, okay? It's a great show, great writing, great acting. Rest in peace, Lance Reddick, and rest in peace to the man who portrayed one of my favorite characters on the show, Omar Little. That's actor Michael K. Williams. You'll remember that Michael K. Williams died in 2021 after overdosing on heroin that was laced with fentanyl. Now, just this past August, the man who sold him the deadly dose, Irvin Cartagena, he was sentenced to 10 years in prison. And the story, I mean, just gets really messed up because even after Michael K. Williams died, the dealer kept selling the potentially fatal laced heroin. According to CDC estimates, more than 111,000 people died from a drug overdose in a 12-month period that ended this past April. 
about 70% of those deaths involve synthetic opioids, which can be fentanyl. Fentanyl is 50 times stronger than heroin, 100 times stronger than morphine. It only takes two milligrams to kill an average person. That's like five to seven grains of salt. That's how little it takes to kill you. I know you guys have seen those videos of police officers who go and do a drug bust and they start ODing because the fentanyl got into the air. That's how serious it is. And what makes it even more dangerous is that it's not easy to tell if drugs have been laced with fentanyl. You can't see it, smell it, you can't taste it, but you can use test strips that could give you results in five minutes. However, the CDC says the test strips may not detect more potent fentanyl-like drugs. So that's a serious problem. Fentanyl is being put into heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine. It's made into pills that resemble Valium or Percocet, Xanax. It can be found in nasal sprays, eye drops, small candies. We're seeing kids OD and or die. Just this week, there were two girls who overdosed at Wakefield High School in Arlington, Virginia. Now, both girls have recovered. One girl was given Narcan, fortunately, which reverses opioid overdose. And it's something that schools are keeping in stock now to prevent drug overdoses on campus. According to research out of UCLA, the rate of overdose deaths in teens doubled in 2020, the first year of the COVID pandemic, and then rose another 20% in the first half of 2021. The researchers said the increases are almost entirely due to illicit fentanyls and that it's not because drug use is becoming more common but more deadly. President Biden is taking aim at the Chinese companies that import the chemicals used to make the deadly drug and announced a series of indictments and sanctions. The Justice Department indicted 12 executives for their alleged roles in drug trafficking. The Treasury announced sanctions against 28 people and companies, mostly in China, some in Canada, that'll prohibit anyone in the US from doing business with them. And I think it's a step in the right direction compared to the whole war on drugs approach that targeted low-level dealers that aren't at the core of the problem. What other ways to make things better? Well, an article in The Hill featured the opinions of Dr. Katherine Beckett, a professor of sociology and law from the University of Washington, and Dr. Fernando Montero, who is a postdoctoral fellow at Columbia University's HIV Center for Clinical and Behavioral Studies. They opined that communities need to tackle homelessness, improve access to mental health services, and develop new treatments to begin making the crisis better, and that we should consider providing pharmaceutical-grade heroin to long-term opioid users for whom other treatments have not worked. They say heroin-assisted treatments, which have been used in Europe and Canada, have reduced drug deaths, crime, and enables long-term users to lead healthier and more productive lives. They say we should also incentivize low-level dealers to test their products and reward those who distribute safer drugs with de facto decriminalization. Now, wherever you stand in all of this, that might be too much for some people. We can all agree that major changes need to be made. All right. Every state has been affected by this epidemic. And I want to pass along my condolences to any of you who may have lost loved ones to drugs. Please be careful out there. Pop it an X pill or Molly at a concert. It's more dangerous now than ever. And you really got to take care of yourself. And speaking of health, oh man, something I haven't shared with a lot of people, but about 10 years ago, my dad, he was on dialysis because his kidneys were failing. And, and the kidney disease, I mean, totally unrelated to drinking or drugs. I mean, my dad is like the biggest square you could ever meet. It was 
crazy, horrible time for my family. My mom practically put the whole family on a renal diet because my dad had to limit his salt, cut out lots of protein, and a bunch of other things from his diet to slow the deterioration of his kidneys. Now, can you imagine a Thanksgiving without salt? Yeah, all I can remember is that we had these leek-infused mashed potatoes. She found the most random recipes on Pinterest. Just a weird Thanksgiving, but... Anyway, I volunteered to donate a kidney to my dad, and if you've ever been a donor or tried to be one, you know that you undergo tons of testing. CTA scan, MRI, I mean, they took like 20 vials of blood from me, and it can be a pretty intense, grueling process, and everything was going good. I had one more test on the donor checklist, the glucose tolerance test, which checks to see how your body handles sugar. It's used to diagnose type 2 diabetes. So basically, you fast for eight hours, they draw your blood to get a baseline, then they drink... Okay, so basically you fast for eight hours, then they draw your blood to get a baseline. You drink this sugary drink, which tastes like flat, super sweet orange soda. They take blood a couple more times in hour intervals. My results came back as pre-diabetic. And that disqualified me from becoming a donor because if you have or almost have diabetes, losing a kidney isn't in your best interest since diabetes can compromise renal function. Now, fortunately for my family, one of my brothers was perfectly healthy, so everyone's okay now. My dad got the kidney. But the pre-diabetic diagnosis, it really confused me at the time. I mean, my grandmas on both sides of my family are diabetics, but... I was healthy, I thought, you know, I worked out all the time. I mean, like maybe I'd eat too many Sour Patch Kids. It turns out mine probably had something to do with the condition I was later diagnosed with called hyperthyroidism, which is a beast of its own, something I've been living with for 10 years. And fortunately, I am no longer pre-diabetic. But apparently 96 million American adults aged 18 and over are. And to make matters worse, 80% of those people don't even know they have it. These numbers are from the CDC. And the thing about prediabetes is that you can make lifestyle changes to prevent or delay type 2 diabetes, like diet change, increased exercise, managing stress stopping smoking. And it's really important because being a diabetic can lead to stroke and of course heart disease, which is the number one cause of death in the U.S. And according to the U.S. Department of Health, black Americans are 30% more likely to die from it. So I know that's a lot. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's serious, guys, and it's impacting a lot of us. And I know a lot of people will hear something like this and you know, reach for a sugar-free soda or keto-friendly items on the shelf because no real sugar, no problem, right? Wrong. And more and more scientific studies are being done showing that sugar-free drinks and products could be just as bad, if not worse for your health when it comes to increased risk of heart attack, stroke, and death. You might use stevia or monk fruit to sweeten your tea, and both have something called erythritol in them. And that's the sweetener we're going to focus on in this segment. Erythritol is a sugar replacement that's found naturally in many fruits. The human body even produces it. So what's the problem? Well, as Cleveland Clinic physician scientist Dr. Stanley Hazen puts it, erythritol is made by our own bodies as part of our metabolism, but at very low levels. It's the high doses of erythritol from packaged foods that we're seeing that have very adverse effects. 
He goes on to say a serving of erythritol in common keto-friendly processed food products made blood levels of erythritol go up 1,000-fold, well above the levels linked to enhanced clotting risks. Dr. Hazen and researchers studied 4,000 people in the U.S. and Europe, including healthy subjects, and came up with these results. The kicker is... These sugar-free keto products are marketed to people who already have a greater risk of heart disease. Diabetics grab these kinds of drinks and foods. This isn't good. And knowing the amount of people who are on the brink of full-blown diabetes in this country, I wonder what we'll be dealing with in the next 20 years. Dr. Hazen says more research needs to be done, but precautions must be taken, and therefore moderation is key like everything in life. But how can you moderate your intake if you don't know how much of an ingredient is in a product to begin with? Because that is not on the label. Now, speaking of unhealthy drinks, I'm human and it's my favorite month of the year. So I had to treat myself to some Starbucks. At least there's no erythritol in my Starbucks order because it's really nothing but real sugar. And I've been getting the tall pumpkin cream chai tea latte. Don't judge me, it's so good. I only drink half though, cause you know, I don't want to spend an extra hour on the Stairmaster, but Seriously, why is it that everywhere I go, I'm being asked to tip? Before I get hounded by the tip police, I absolutely tip. 90% of the time, I tip 20 to 30% for services like hair, nails, massage, dinner. And 10% of the time, I tip 15% for subpar but survivable service. But when I went through the drive-thru at Starbucks, before I even get my drink, I'm being passed the little debit card machine that asks if I wanna tip $1, $2, or $5. My drink cost $5, which is already high, but I'm being asked to tip either 20%, that's just a starter right there, 40% or 100% on a drink I haven't even seen yet. And why am I even being asked to tip on a to-go order where there isn't even any real service? And this is not me attacking the baristas. I know you have to deal with the craziest as seen on TikTok orders, but Starbucks, are you serious? And it's not just Starbucks. I mean, it's everywhere. I know you guys have seen this. I like this one. I like when businesses intentionally miscalculate the percentages. So you think you're tipping 20% if you hit the 20% button. But if you do the math, you're really tipping like 35%. Have you guys seen that one before? I see it all the time. That's why I always manually put in my tip amount or I give cash. Damn, that high school pre-calc has really started to pay off. What? But you know what workers I will tip when I'm doing my to-go orders? People who give me a decent amount of chicken at Chipotle. Yeah, okay, cause I'm, I'm eyeing it and I'm like, damn, they're gonna make me order double protein. I just know it, but when they give you just enough and you don't have to order double protein, I'm like, yes. And when they don't give me enough, I just make up for it in plastic spoons and napkins. Is it just me? <laughs> but I get it. People are not getting paid enough and it is no laughing matter. I worked retail through high school and college and made at most $7.50 an hour. And I couldn't technically even accept tips. Like I'd be working at Target in the food area, for example, and someone wanted to tip me. If it was like a dollar, I'd be like, hey, I can't take it. But if it was $5 or a 10 spot, I'm like, fold it up. Yeah, 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 fold it up. Put it behind those ketchup packets. I'm gonna get it after my break. Like. You know, I mean, even my first TV job, I got paid $20,000 a year. I wish I could have got tipped for good traffic reports, 
getting people to work on time and giving you those good trusty alternate routes. Because with $20,000 a year, it's like you're making too much to qualify for Medicaid, but not enough to really do anything else. And that's real. And I don't think that billion dollar corporations should be turning to cash strapped consumers to supplement their workers' incomes when they could just pay their workers more. And don't think I'm just some rich TV lady being cheap, I'm not rich. But if I was, I'd still be saying the same thing. Corporations need to fill in the tip wage gap and make sure that no matter what, their employees, especially the ones that rely mostly on tips like waiters, go home with a living wage, even on a bad night. All right, guys, that's our show for the day. Thank you so much for joining me and listening in. I appreciate all of you guys participating in the conversation on YouTube where I post the full length video version of this podcast. All right, guys, have a great rest of your week.